0: to that. As a child uh, raised in a like Carolyn, um, we were taught this early on. I had to figure it out though as I got a little older for myself. I embraced it as a child. I was dedicated like Michelangelo. By the way, I have a feeling that no matter what he does with his life, he's gonna do it with an artistic panache. Don't you think? A name like Michelangelo. I think he's. I think you've given him a destiny. Good for you. And uh, so, grown, growing up in a a Christian home, dedicated like Michelangelo this morning, Uh, and yet there was a time in my life I had to decide for myself that Jesus was the center of the universe, the the center of history. Jesus, the Son of God. I'd like us to uh, think this morning about Him, Jesus, the Savior of the world. And the wonder of Christmas! Don't you just love Christmas? Yeah. I do too. I, I love the season. I love all the decorations and all the lights. I, I like everything. I even get a kick out of the, you know, Santa Claus songs and, and all that kind of stuff. And I saw Mama kissing Santa. Isn't you know, that somebody? Is you that know how that goes? Yeah. Underneath, yeah. And and that came true in our life, didn't it, Carolyn? <laughs> Nonetheless. Nonetheless, it's, it's fabulous, and I love it. I love to go to the, to the different stores and uh, listen to the Christmas carols being sung. There are a few crazy songs at Christmas that we, I probably could live without, right? Like uh, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer or something like that. It's sort of a sad song. Is that a country western song? Maybe that's why, how that works. All I have to say, I love how it goes into the Christmas carols. And where, it's, where you hear the song, Silent Night, Holy and, Night. And you know, even in a store that would, would, would want separation from church and sales, not church and state, church and sales, uh, and yet they're still playing Silent Night, Holy Night, about the wonder of Christmas. What a fabulous thing. I love that stuff and really enjoy it. Uh, but I do, I would confess that before Christmas is over, I begin to wonder, who's important about Christmas? Is it Santa or is it somebody else? I promise you this morning it's somebody else. And Jesus then is the one that Christmas is about. You know, all of time, all of history is divided, uh, is, is focused, is centered on Jesus. You know, you have BC, which means before Christ. You have AD, which means Anno Domini. Some people think it means after death. Well, that's an interesting way to remember it. But in fact, it means, it doesn't mean after death. It really means in the year of our Lord. It's a Latin phrase, Anno Domini. So you have before Christ, and you have in the year of our Lord. The year the Lord was born. No wonder that there was a first century stone inscription that said, the first century, in the year that Jesus was born, the birth date of our God has signaled the beginning of good news for the world. And that would be appropriate. Except it wasn't for Jesus. It was intended for Caesar Augustus. The birth date of our God, remember in those days they declared themselves as gods, has signaled the beginning of good news to the, uh, for the world. And it was announcing the birth of Caesar Augustus. You see, that's the problem. At Christmas every year, that's the problem in, in every, every day of our life is that we get confused as to what's important and who it is should we be taking our direction from and who it is should we be worshiping. Should it be maybe Santa Claus or might it be Jesus? Should it be Caesar Augustus or would it be Jesus? Should it be, you know, our favorite football team or might it be somebody else? You know what I mean? And so we understand from the beginning that Jesus is in the center of all history. Jesus is the one that God sent to this world to become the savior of the world, that you and I might have a hope, and that you and I might have promise. (coughs) Excuse me. He was born in a stable in Bethlehem, which is a fascinating thing. And then, so when you and I finally agree that Jesus is the center of all history, when you and I finally agree that if we focus on Jesus, our life will come into focus in a proper way, we'll see the right things, we'll do the right things, we'll behave the right way, we'll make the right kind of choices. This is what happens, you know, when Jesus uh, is focused, when your life is focused in God and in Jesus Christ. This is what happens. Your life takes on a better and and a more balanced perspective and a better understanding of who you are and what you want to do. But then what happens when you get to the doctor this week and he gives you the news? And he uses that four-letter word that starts with the letter C. I know it's more than four letters, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's a horrible thing, and, and all of us in this room have family. Somebody in this room, some of us, have been told by the doctor, "You have cancer." And so, what do you do? Fine. Jesus is the center of the universe. Yes, I'm trusting God. I believe in Jesus Christ, but now my life is all upside down. My life is a wreck. My life, I don't know how long I'm going to live. I don't know how this is going to affect me. I don't know about the treatments. I don't know about what's going to happen. God has a way through that. And in his name is Jesus Christ. What about the family? What about, what about the marriage? Why didn't my first marriage work, you might say? What happened to that? <coughs> God's in the center of the universe. Jesus is there. And Jesus came to save us to make life right. Why didn't my marriage work? John and Marsha had a similar circumstance. John and Marcia uh, were married for four or five years, and uh, John began to spend more time uh, drinking than anything else. And so he was a real pain in the neck at home. You know what I'm talking about. And John uh, gave Marcia a hard way to go, to the point at which, after four years of marriage, Marcia said to him, You know, Matt, you know, John, uh, when you leave the house today, just get in your pickup truck and keep on driving, because this... done. We are done. Now John and Marcia were Christians. John and Marcia knew about the saving grace of Jesus. They knew that if they trusted God, that his love would hold them through any circumstance. That he would center their lives. That he would keep them right and keep them focused. And yet for some reason, uh, John's life particularly went a different direction. He began to be distracted by his addiction to booze. And so out he goes. And as John's driving away in his pickup truck, John's trying to go through in his mind, what can I do? How can I make this work? I know that I, know that I really want to be with Marsha, and I, I got to stop this drinking and stuff, and, and I don't know what to do. So what does he do? He turns the truck around, and he drives back into town, and he stops at the Salvation Army. Salvation Army, not quite as nice as what we have here, but the Salvation Army nonetheless. And he goes and he talks to the captain. He says, Cap, he says, my marriage is over. My life is a wreck. And the captain said, you know, John, I think we need to get back to who's the center of your life. Is it going to be you? Are you going to be the center of your life? Are you going to allow God to have the control in your life? That Jesus will bring you peace. Jesus will bring you hope. Jesus will bring you light. Because you know for a fact that the wonders of Jesus brings light to the confusion and contradiction lives. He does. He brings light to it. And so they had this discussion and John said, "Look, I know you're right. I know I've been I've been just selfish. I've been thinking about what I was interested in and taking care of myself and I thought the best way to deal with the pains and the contradictions in my life was to drown him with the bottle." And the captain said, "Pray with me. Pray with me and let us let us allow Jesus then to Come back into your life. Let us allow Jesus to replace your, yourself in this journey so that you might have peace, that you might have joy, and you might have hope. And so John prayed with the captain, and that's exactly what happened. God's Holy Spirit moved back into John's life in a very powerful and effective way. John went back to Marcia and said, "Marcia, I've had a chat with the captain. The captain said, <coughs> excuse me, the captain helped me. Oh, you're very kind. The captain, with all this rain, you'd think my, my uh, throat wouldn't get so dry, would you? If you'll excuse me, I'm going to indulge. The captain said, stop your drinking. <clears throat> no, John was at Marcia, and John said, "Marcia, please let me come home. She said, you know what, John? She said, I'll tell you what, uh, we'll give this about three months. You stay away for about three months. You convince me after three months that Jesus is still in the center of your life and not your bottle. and I'll let you, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this. Carol and I were there at that particular Salvation Army Church on the day when uh, the two of them came forward and knelt together and recommitted their lives to God. Uh, three months later, because John stayed clean for three, four months, and uh, put, uh, made sure that Jesus was the center of his life. Loved ones today, Jesus is not only the center of history. Jesus wants to be the center of your life. Jesus wants to help you through any circumstance you find yourself in, whether it's a bad doctor's report, whether it's a rough marriage, whether it's a wayward child. No matter what it is that you're facing, Jesus wants to bring light to the contradictions and the confusion in our lives. In the context of uh, the wonders of Christmas and the light that comes to us at this moment, Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. That's a powerful statement. He wants to nourish you today. He wants to bring bring that grace into your life. He says, I am the bread of life. Understand he was born in Bethlehem. The, the, The name Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus will bring light into your difficult circumstances, as I've been saying. He was born under the light of the star of Bethlehem. Jesus said, "I am the door of the sheep. This is this means this is a way to understand that I'm the way that you will come into safety. You that we will come into safe harbor. That you will you will live a life of peace and joy and hope." Jesus says, "I am the door of the sheep," and we would understand that on the first Christmas, the doors of the guest house were closed to Mary and Joseph, but the gate to the stable was open. Jesus said, "I am the good shepherd." I will care for you. I will lead you to where you might be fed. I will show you where the fresh water is. I will keep you safe. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Baby Jesus was sought by shepherds, looking for a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And you know that the manger, is really uh, the the cradle that Jesus laid in was really a feeding trough for uh, sheep and for other animals. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus survived King Herod's attempt to kill him as a baby. Jesus reminds us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The wise men found their way to him. They recognized the truth about him and defied King Herod's evil plot to take away his life. Jesus said, I am the true vine. And then we read as well, not only was Jesus born in Bethlehem, but it says Jesus was born in Bethlehem, uh, Ephrata. And the word Ephrata is, is a part of the understanding of the location of Bethlehem. And Ephrata means fruitful, very appropriate for the child born uh, as the true vine. And so we understand that Jesus is not only the center of human history, but desires to be the center of our lives. And then we understand that in the difficulties and the complications of our life, that Jesus brings light to that confusion and contradictions in our lives. Have you ever noticed on Christmas Day that uh, somebody gets a big package, and everybody's happy? First thing, the next person gets a small package, right? And what do they say? The best thing come in small packages, right? It's sort of a concession to the, to the poor person in the room who got the smallest pack, package, right? If you haven't said it before, you can use it this Christmas with my permission. Ah, there you go. Best things come in small packages, The reality is that uh, often in life we discover that great power resides in the small, the spare, and the simple things of life. Think about this. A box cutter, a simple box cutter, brought down a skyscraper and almost bankrupted a nation. A pamphlet on common sense sparked a revolution. A song about overcoming changed the world. A few specific tweets started an Arab spring and toppled a few governments. Why would we be surprised then that a baby in a manger would bring eternal salvation for all? It's a wonder. Because not only is Jesus the center of all history, and not only does he bring light to the confusion and the contradictions of our lives, but Jesus, we understand in Jesus that little becomes large, when God is in it. A little baby becomes the large savior of the world when God is in it. Carol and I do a fair amount of flying. Perhaps a number of you do. I suppose if you live in Hawaii, if you're going anywhere, you do some flying. Either that or you take a long boat ride, right? But uh, we we get to the airport occasionally at uh, LAX. We live near Los Angeles. Uh, It's very nice, never as nice as Hawaii. We love to come to here. We always we love this. We look forward to this. Three years we've been living in there <clears throat> in our fourth year, and we've met this fella at the airport. He always greets us at the United Counter. His name is Ray. Really nice guy. He's always been very good to us. He, he walks us up. He sometimes walks us in front of other people. I'm sorry about that, but he takes good care of us, and he makes sure our bags get checked, and sometimes he makes sure we get the better seats on the plane, which is a lovely thing. It's very appreciated. After three years of this friendship, and he always looks for us when we come, he finally said to me about a month or two ago, he said, "Uh, I'd like to show you, I'd like to show you, I'm trying to stay in the antenna of the microphone. And uh, one of the wonders of this Christmas is how that antenna is going to shift in this room as I walk around. (laughs) Isn't that funny? But um, uh, he pulls out his wallet and he begins to show me pictures of his two daughters. Well, I wasn't surprised. Uh, The one daughter is a cheerleader for UCLA. The other daughter could be on the picture front cover of a magazine. Just beautiful women, both adults. And he's very proud of them. (coughs) And he went on to say how he loves being a father. And then he did something very curious. He flipped over his wallet, and he said, and here's my parents. Now, can I ask you a question? And I don't suggest that you raise your hands or indicate in this room. On the, on, the, on the possibility that your parents are here. How many of you are carrying your parents' pictures in your wallets, right? You can look at mine. Well, there's, there's no cash there. But there certainly isn't a picture of my parents. I love my parents, but it's not a normal thing. It's not a common thing. Maybe it's normal, but it's not common that people carry a picture of their parents. Maybe we should, but uh, we don't normally. So I said, well, Ray, right, why is it you've got a picture of your parents with you? excuse me, and he said, well, with this, I've got to tell you this short story. He says, uh, my father, uh, I'm adopted. He said, I'm adopted. My father in the picture is a fireman. He said, when I grew up, I wanted to be a fireman too. But you know, he said, I'm a small package. He stands about this tall. He says, I'm a small package, and I didn't qualify to become a fireman in Los Angeles. Now, actually, I think that law has changed. I think that rule has changed. But when he he was there, at that age, at that time, you couldn't be a fireman if you were going to be a small package. Those are his words, not mine. He said, uh, but what I want to tell you is this. And uh, he said, these are my adopted parents. He said, the family I was born to was pretty rough on me. He said, they usually blame me for everything that went wrong in the house. If the dinner got burnt, it was my fault. If the uh, lamp fell off the table, it was my fault, even if I wasn't in the room, because I got punished for everything that happened. He said, they were pretty rough on me. They kind of beat me up. He said, and then on a regular basis, they started putting me in the closet. But as they put me in the closet, they took a hanger off the rack, and they opened it up, and then they tied my hands behind my back with a coat hanger. And then they locked me in the closet and left me there for hours on a time. Sometimes I would miss meals. He said, this happened to me a lot. And then on one particular day, I couldn't help but to notice that I was starting to smell smoke uh, in the closet. He said, I'd learned to be quiet in the closet because if I made any noise in the closet, they'd come back and hit me more. But he said, uh, at the age of six or seven years old, he said, I smelled this smoke and it it occurred to me that maybe maybe, maybe something was on fire. And sure enough, the house was on fire. And then before I knew it, uh, I, I, I was starting to get really scared to the point where I thought I had, like, no hope at all. He says, I only had a little hope of getting out. Uh, he said, I really thought I was going to die. When I heard uh, what I thought was uh, somebody coming in the house, they were making some noise. And uh, uh, then all of a sudden, I began banging on the door and screaming as loud as I could. And then, uh, then the door burst open from the closet, and there he was. He stood there. He was the fireman. And he says, as I looked into his eyes, I knew that he loved me. Now that's a curious thing from a six or a seven-year-old, six-and-a-half-year-old, to say, I knew that he loved me, except that what he knew, what Ray knew at that moment, with this man, this man forced his way into a burning house to save his life. So this wasn't a love like, oh, I like the way you talk, or I like the way you sing, or I like the way you look, or I like I the things about you. No, this is a love that said, you just, you just sacrificed your, love to, uh, your life to save my life. I knew he loved me. That's why he was there. And so he rescued me from the closet and untied my hands, he said, uh, from the coat hanger, and took me back and uh, brought me to safety. He said, at the social services place, I didn't know what was going to happen, and then I discovered something else. Not only did the man save my life, but he took me as his own. He and his wife, who already had children, were God-fearing people. They loved God. And they just knew that I needed a better home than the one I lived in. And they adopted me. And that's why I'm showing you their picture today. Because who wants you to meet? I want you to meet my father, who loved me enough to risk his life and save me. Don't you understand, loved ones, this morning? This is what God has done for you and me. This is the God who provides Jesus the center of the, of the universe. This is the same God who brings light to the confusion of our life. This is the same God who out of a small package, out of a small baby, brings this great and large salvation for every one of us. You see, D- Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. He went to the cross. He gave his life for you and me that you and I might have life. Nailed to the cross for sure by nails, but maintained there by love. He stayed there by choice. It was his option. It was his privilege. It was his decision just for you and just for me. And within three short days, he rose again with resurrection power and authority, showing us that even small things like a baby, God can make something fantastic from. The wonder of Christmas... The angels declared it, the shepherds believed it. The stars announced it, and the wise men followed it. The authorities feared it, the prophets welcomed it. The infirmed were healed by it, and the disciples were amazed by it. The religious leaders of the day were intimidated by it, and the enemy in desperation tried to kill it. It's the wonder of Christmas. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory and will dwell with him in heaven because of it. It is the wonder of Christmas. The wonder of Christmas became the wonder of Easter for you and for me. One of the songs they play in those department stores is, O Come, All Ye Faithful. The refrain goes, Oh, Come, Let Us Adore Him. I wonder if we might just sing that chorus together. Our meeting's about finished this morning. We run out of time. But I want to give you a chance today here in this great uh, Croc Center, in this Croc Church, this Salvation Army. These altars are placed here for people to come and pray, for people like you to come and pray. And this will be the best Christmas of your life if you will allow Jesus to be born in you. If you allow Jesus to be born in you. And then in your journey those complexities that you're facing. And look, all of us are facing complexities in life. You know, there's not one of us that are exempt. We've all got issues. I have a pain in my back in the morning. We've all got our issues. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's relational. Sometimes it's things that we didn't even do ourselves. Somebody hurt us when we were young, like Ray. It wasn't your fault. I just want you to know today, it wasn't your fault. Maybe you just need to get set free from that today, and you can come to the altar and pray and seek God this morning. We're going to sing the chorus, and you're welcome to come and pray and find God right here and now. That you will have Christmas. Oh, come. And-